Hello, everyone. This is Lisa Freitas. And I'm Katie Saad, and welcome to another episode of 90 Day Disasters, a 90 Day Fiance Recap Podcast. We are two moms, lawyers, and reality TV junkies here to break down for you the fire in a trash can that is TLC's 90 Day Fiance. All right, everyone, grab your K-1 visas and let's get started. Oh, and because we are lawyers, we need to cover our butts. So please listen to the disclaimer at the end of the episode. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of 90 Day Disasters. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing very well, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. How's my baby? She, you know, it was so weird. She's so, you know, she's so chill. She's such a happy kid. She like never cries. And then she was just this morning, just like maybe 10 minutes ago, she was rolling around having fun on the rug. And then all of a sudden she started crying, like really crying. And I was like, oh my God. And I knew she hadn't like hurt herself because I've been watching her and I was so confused. So I took her down to sort of put her to bed and she had basically like suddenly had diaper rash kind of a thing. Oh, like she, I think that she just had something, ate something that didn't agree with her or something. And it was, or it was very acidic. And so she was like all red and she was crying and it was just like the saddest thing. I'm still, I have not recovered. Oh, <laughs> Petey. So that's how she is. But other than that, like <laughs> laughs uh, in total happiness, she is great. <laughs> Good. Well, because I'm a totally inappropriate mother. I listen to my podcasts of what Watch What Crappens and even our podcast um, while my children are in the car. Sure. And so my three-year-old June, um, we were listening. I was listening to Watch Watch What Crappens, and she's like, "Mommy, I want to hear you and Katie." Oh, that's so sweet. June's like our our first real fan. She is. She. I put it on, and she's like, oh, "There's mommy and Katie." And then when Olivia got in the car, she's like, "Olivia, Olivia, listen, it's mommy and Katie." Olivia's so like, "Yeah, I've seen this movie before. I'm not interested." She's like, "Thank great. you, next." <laughs> Olivia's like, "Oh, great! Is mommy talking about prison again? Sweet." <laughs> Just a typical Wednesday morning. Yeah, you know. <laughs> mother of the year and you um, know i wrote you i wrote you and i want to like mention this on yes. air just so people can possibly like chime, chime in. in basically there's this so i watched sister wives um every season until this last season when i just found it so boring i literally couldn't get through it mm-hmm. um i don't know what changed for me i mean we're like we were what 10 years or nine years or something crazy in on that or or seasons if not years well it's like um, the, the the honeymoon's over like it's not interesting anymore i feel well, sad and it's kind of sad now exactly i yeah. think the mary thing really tanked them because it kind of popped the bubble because i think the idea for sister wives was that this was supposed to be a family demonstrating that they had a workable situation yeah. and not only did it prove itself not workable in relation to mary but it wasn't even sort of sensationally not workable so it was worth watching as like a car wreck like right. many reality shows this was just like depressing and and deflating so yeah. so i stopped watching it but because i was you know i'm obviously a tlc person as you are um i noticed that they you know had this show called seeking sister wives last year or maybe the year before and I was immediately completely hooked I think they mentioned it on bitch sesh Mm -hmm. um and they were sort of leaving their normal milieu whereas you and I are like obviously 
you know, focusing on TLC and similar shows on Bitch Sesh, they focus on Bravo. And they even sort of took a, a moment to say, you have to watch this. And I absolutely just loved the first season. And somehow I didn't notice that they had a new season. Um, I had checked, I had checked on it, like on the status just a couple or three months ago and there was nothing on the horizon. So I forgot about it again. And now like just the other day I realized, oh my God, there's seven or eight or something episodes in the new season. So I literally spent all day yesterday binge watching um, Seeking Sister Wife because uh, it's just the best. And I, I was hoping that you might consider discussing it on the podcast slash obviously people would have to be interested, but because it's a TLC show, I feel like we, it's a pretty safe bet. Well, I watched, I think a couple of the first season and okay. I, I, one of, one of them was really interesting. I, or a couple of them were interesting. But the um, African-American couple seeking a sister wife was sort of creepy to me. Oh, they're so creepy. And the man is extra creepy. You will gasp when you see what happens in their storyline. Theirs is by far the most interesting storyline. So do any of them continue on to season two? Are they all the the same? So the African-American couple continues the couple where it's like an older bald gentleman with two like much younger wives, but in a, I would say in a totally not creepy way, I think it was just sort of how that happened to happen. They were in Utah. They're like traditional, you know, mm-hmm. I guess they're either FLDS or they're some weird offshoot of FLDS. They're in the new season. And then I don't think the other couples, and then there are new couples, two new couples um, in the new season, but the African-American couple was and in my opinion remains by far the most interesting he does something absolutely insane um towards the end of this first season so i think i would be totally open to starting at season two yeah we can do that and but i myself personally will catch up by watching season one you really should honestly watch the whole thing because of the because of Dimitri and Ashley. I think it's just important for you to have that continuity. Right. And then um, we can also tell people like sporadically throughout season two, like refer back and let them know what happened in season one. Well, and honestly, you have to because the storyline yeah. is completely continuous. So it's okay. the perfect show to like jump in on, okay. um, you know, in the current season, especially because we're still waiting for 90 Day. I posted on our Facebook page that there's some kind of release information for, I want to say, oh, oh I, I think it's that. a where, yeah, it's, it's a like where a, are they now? Or like or... after the 90 day yes. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, Which I is know. still good, which is still good. It's so... fine. I'm happy to cover that. Um, I think I would be open to doing this um, Seeking Sister Wife. I'm totally it's open to It's just a juggernaut, it. man. It's so good. It's so much better than Sister Wives. Um, yeah, even oh, no, like I can't even Sister watch Wives. Sister Wives. Sister Wives is too much for me now. I'm just like, and it's it's the same story over and over and over. And Cody's hair is just getting out of control. I think his hair kind of tanked it. I think his hair jumped the shark. I I mean, yeah, he jumped the man bun. I think he thinks he's way hotter than he is. I agree, and I think they think he's way hotter than he is. But Mary might have finally stopped drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. <laughs> Mary's like there. Although she ended up with like a female catfish, so I'm not sure if that's a trade up or a trade down. I just feel bad for Mary. Just I mean, I know oh, we're she's not miserable. covering this, but she's a I miserable mean, human being. I know, but I I do have so much sympathy for her mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know she's the first wife and she's in this like very um, FDLS type, you know, religious marriage and. Yes you know, in their 
in their culture, in their religion. They have many, many, many kids. And she could only have one. And that struggling with infertility in being and being a Mormon has got to be such a huge um, stressor for her and, and such a huge disappointment to her. And um, I, especially I, with her sister wives in the same household, having, having like, like multiple, kids. multiple kids. Yeah. And it's got to be like so disheartening and depressing. I mean, I, infertility for anyone who is trying to have a child and who really wants to desperately wants a child is very difficult and very traumatic. You know, I mean, I can totally understand and relate to that, but I feel like with Mary, it's even like, like times 10 because she's surrounded by all these women who are having multiple pregnancies and she can only have one. And then like the real kicker is you know, they've all, they all talk about having all these children because they want these huge families, right? So they can't wait for their kids to get married and have all these children. And then Mariah comes out and says, hey, I'm gay and I love, this is my girlfriend. And yeah, but lesbians can have kids like in a way they the can. gay men can't. No, I 100% agree with that. But it is such a like, they're so, I, I guess what I'm saying is she's such, they're in such a, it sounds weird to say, but traditional, <laughs> like polygamist family, right. they're, you know, they're very traditional. And so in the traditional uh, polygamist family, it's like there isn't a there. You don't see a lot of homosexual relationships. So for her, it's like, oh, no. wow, I'm not even going to get, you know, the the son-in-law and I'm not even, you know, I'm not going to get the, yeah, I mean, the I think second Mary, chance at a nuclear family. And I think Mary's okay with it. I mean, I she loves Mariah and she loves Mariah's girlfriend. And I think they're actually engaged. I think it's wonderful. I'm so happy that she's brought this to their family. I think it's great. I just, Mary, my heart goes out to Mary because of all the people that it could happen to, you know, all the other moms or wives or whatever, of course it has to happen to Mary's only child. Well, and that brings us back to Seeking Sister Wife as well, because one of the things that's so interesting about that show is that it's not just a bunch of FLDS Mormons. So it's not just, you know, sister wife, sister wives over and over again within the same show. You see all these completely different, um, not even just religious, but sort of. I don't even know what the word, I mean, these different like theories basically but behind so why these people want to do this. Well, now I'm, I'm very interested to watch this because it's so curious to me. I feel like polygamy to me is almost, well, first of all, you do you like I am, I don't, I don't understand why polygamy is not legal except I don't for, either. except for the exploitation of minors. Like yeah, child brides, fourteen year olds, like that. I think absolutely, one hundred percent should be illegal. But as far as like adult women wanting to be in a polygamist marriage, like I mean, you do you. You make these choices for yourself. Whatever works for you. But it's not going to be illegal forever. I mean, that's going to go the way it shouldn't. But it just doesn't make any sense. But I also feel like there's this sort of acceptance about it because it's like a religious thing but when you take the religion out of it then it just seems like okay this is like a creepy thing like this guy just wants to have sex with a bunch of women and it be that's okay how i feel about dimitri the african-american man in um atlanta i absolutely and it and, and it continues through this season i absolutely think that that guy is just wanting to have his cake and eat it too and have as much yeah, that's sort so of weird and i and i feel really badly for his wife because she's just been taken in by him 
And he's convinced her that having other women around will mean sisterhood for her and help with her children. And really, it's just an excuse for him to have to not be monogamous um, for his yeah, own like I, personal gain. And I, I really, really horrified by them um, and specifically so by him. Um, and we'll get it. We'll get more into it. And of course, that's just my personal opinion based on this like sliver of them that I've seen on the show. Right. But it is my opinion, and it and it's very much supported by the way that he actually comports himself within this polygamous sort of theory that he's positing. That's really just doesn't even pass the laugh test. So anyway, we'll get into it. Yes. It's fantastic. Everybody okay. comment, please. And for now, we are in this episode. Believe it or not, covering. Love After Lockup, season two, episodes three and four. Yes. So this season three is I Want This to Be Real. Episode three. Oh, sorry. Episode three. Season two, episode three. This is originally aired on December 21st, (coughs) excuse me, of last year. Um, And it's called I Want This to Be Real. So we start with Brittany and Marcelino and they're in Vegas. And Marcelino is picking up Brittany. And he's been writing her for a year and visiting her for four months. Um, And we find out that she has a son. Um, And so Brittany walks out. She, I'm, she's just gorgeous. She's gorgeous. I think she's gorgeous. Her hair. I think she's just such a beautiful person. I don't understand. I just, I'm like, kind of have a, like a girl crush on her. I do too. And I think that she makes it pretty clear how she ended up in this sort of life of crime and that she was really abandoned as a child that there was tons of alcoholism with oh, her, yeah. both of her parents and you know just as unstable as life can be and so she ran away when she was really young mm-hmm. um and, and of course this is what results and so you just feel I always feel with her like it's such a tragedy because she could have been and she hopefully will be in the future a completely functioning successful member of society you know and she just got such a bum rap to start with yeah I agree I mean she was definitely a victim of her circumstances and I I just I just really like her I think she has this sort of emotional maturity that you don't it's insane see typically with a lot of these women her emotional intelligence is absolutely off the charts for any demographic to say nothing of the the prison demographic and beyond her emotional intelligence, she is beyond articulate. Yeah. Like, it is incredible to me how well this one, every time she opens her mouth, I'm like, how, you know, yeah. how are you not, you know, how did you not go to college? You know, how did you not, she sounds so educated and sophisticated and also just, just straight up. She has straight up good instincts, I think about sort of, the way people are and the way they think and the way they feel. And I just love her. I'm so, I'm just constantly impressed by her. And every once in a while she lapses into something of course, that, that is clearly something that's just the product of the experiences that she's had, but that her actual core yeah. as a person is very impressive to me. I agree with you. <laughs> and then we get Marcelino. Who yeah. Quotes, I don't know about him. Who, who quotes Flava Flav. Wow. Gee. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about him. I think he's a good person too, and actually, I, I trust his judgment. But, he's very um, verbose. Like he likes to hear yeah. himself talk, and he yeah. likes to, you know, be. Well, he's clearly he's, an he's pedantic guy. He's an, he's like the definition of pedantic. Like, yeah, he thinks the world is his classroom, and he has all the you know people oh, to teach. God, yes. But he's so unclear on what his actual like philosophies 
are. Right. You know what I mean? He just wants to sort of talk. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. And I think, and so she comes out and she tells, she starts talking about the rules um, that she has on parole. While she's on parole, she can't have alcohol. She can't be in contact with ex-convicts. And she can't have narcotics. And there's a litany of other things. But I find it fascinating because as we will explore with Brittany in later episodes, I mean, she has a lot of contact with ex-convicts. Yeah, and she drinks. And she drinks. So, so it's, I don't get it it's either. It's all yeah. very curious. That it's, really confused me. She really confused me with that. I agree. I mean, I think she just doesn't follow the rules. But it seems rather risky considering it's being filmed. I um, agree. I, I really didn't understand that. So then we go off to your favorite and mine, Lizzie and Scott. And okay, so she picks up Scott, right? And this is, you know, on the heels of her knocking him down and knocking at his tooth. And all four of them, Lizzie, Scott, Adam, and Jasmine are on the car. And they stop at a food mart. And Lizzie's excitement and fascination with this food mart is a little over the top. She, no, she just wants to buy shit. She's like a kid, literally a kid in a candy store. Yeah, she's not going to eat any of that stuff. She's, I mean, maybe some of it, but she just wants to. Spend I think she's actually money. Te- yeah, I think she's actually testing him. Like, I think this is the first test for her outside of prison. She literally had him drive from the prison to the nearest place that sells goods for money and filled up a bucket full of crap that mm-hmm. is completely unnecessary for any human being and just wanted to see if he would pay for it, which he did. And especially with the lottery tickets. That was I another. know. I mean, they literally... It was the most expensive thing in the store, $237 basically. $237 on food and lottery tickets. And she's, like, eating an ice cream as they pay. And she's just like, it's my dream day. And I think you're right. I think she is trying to make him literally put his money where his mouth is when he said he would take care of her. Um yeah. She wants him to prove it, and he early so, and often. So far, he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then so then they get back in the car, and then we get Caitlin and Matt, and yeah. Caitlin is so over the top. I like her more and more as time goes on, but like I think she's a sweet girl. She's just had some yeah tough m- times with her family, and she's a little bit like she's so freaking out about not knowing where to go. And so she parks and she's out of her car and she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where he's going. And then an officer comes down the hill and in a car and he says to follow him and that they'll deliver Matt to her. And she's like so excited and grateful and she's just anxious and impatient and freaking out. And when he finally arrives, she like runs to the track that he's in and she's like crying. I mean, for somebody who has only been dating this guy for less than a year i think yeah it's a little over the top she's like i'm like girl chill out i think I agree he, he's even saying that like she's way more excited to see him than he is about even getting out of prison like i agree she kind of reminds me of jonna and that but jonna wasn't even that bad except she did cry but then garrett was super excited to see her too and matt's like happy to see her but he's not like going nuts like she is I agree completely. And she's very, like, it's, like, it's so superficial, her quote-unquote love for Matt, because she's, like, taking off his shirt and checking out his body, and then she, like, kisses and straddles him, and they get in the car and make out, and then she, like, demands to see his penis. 
Yeah, she's like a she's like a um an infatuated teenage girl. She is totally an infatuated. Tw- she's a thirty two year old infatuated teenage girl, which is fine. I mean, you know, I think we've all been there where we like really fell hard for someone, not in these circumstances, obviously. Yeah, but um, you know, I I think that it it speaks to a lack of emotional development for her. I think that's true, and it also kind of demonstrates the lack of depth in their relationship like for Mm -hmm. somebody who thinks she's gonna get married and have kids with this guy it's all physical she could give a shit about anything i think it's literally all physical oh it is a hundred percent that's all they can talk about is i mean we'll see later but like it's Mm -hmm. just it's ridiculous so anyway she gets to see his penis and she's very excited about it um and then we go to clint and tracy and clint's mom the enabler Alice is taking him to the airport and he is going to fly to I'm forgetting Texas. Texas. Is it Texas? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where where does he live? I I can't He lives in some shithouse town in New Mexico. <coughs> okay. So he's No offense to the people of that shithouse town, but it <laughs> seems not great. So he is flying to Texas to go pick up Tracy and his mom is driving him. I mean, he's like a teenager getting a ride from his mom yeah i mean talk about a lack of emotional development development he he and what's her name should be together oh he and caitlin he and caitlin yeah they'd be a good match but you know i actually think that tracy and clint are a good match Mm. (laughs) i mean i mean i have i have the i have i have hindsight you know because i've seen the end but no, Clint shouldn't be with anyone. Clint is like a man child. There's something, you know, up with that guy and he needs to deal with it on his own, I think, before he can be in a successful relationship long term. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess. But I mean, so is Tracy. They're kind well, of made for I mean, each other. she yeah, I mean, I guess I guess in the sense that neither of them could do better. Yeah. It kind of works. And maybe yeah. being alone is not any better than for them to be together. But um, Ooh, excuse me. I'm, I, I'm very concerned for Clint. There's something <laughs> off about him and not off in a, in a way that he has any kind of evil intent or, but there's just something kind of wrong with that guy. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see him get treatment before he embarks on something that requires you to kind of be a whole human being. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause I don't think he's a whole human being. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so then we go to the triangle, Megan, Michael, and Sarah. Oh and my God. this is just like so hard to see because Barry. And it just gets worse. <laughs> like over the course of the season, it just gets cringier and cringier and cringier. Yeah, I mean, like they're both like par- they're leading like parallel lives. Yeah. You know, you keep seeing, you see Megan getting ready to fly to Michigan to go pick up Michael. And then you see Sarah packing to get ready to drive to Michigan to pick up Michael. And she's got her queen and king t-shirt for them to wear. And And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but who is this little twerp that has inspired this devotion in two seemingly rational women? I mean, you know, and and I don't know. Like he can't even formulate a full sentence. Yeah, he couldn't Hey, yeah, he, for, he 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 speaks in monosyllables and he couldn't find a coherent sentence with two hands and a flashlight he has no charisma he you know he's in prison which and is he, bad enough he's not even that good looking i and mean he's, he's not good looking he's not he's awful, short but i mean he's not all that these women must have zero 
self-esteem. Sarah, I can understand a little bit because she's young and she... They've been together forever. They've been together for seven years. So she met him when she was a teenager and Mm -hmm. she has his child. No, no, that one I get. So I get it. But but she's still in love with him though. She's still infatuated with him, which is the side I don't get of it. And then Megan is a whole different story. You know, you, you pointed out that you think Megan is infantilized and I I kind of didn't agree with you as much then as I do now that I'm thinking about who she's chosen you know to sort of be her partner and I'm like you are an actual child because you are making such a short-sighted poor decision for yourself yeah that's obviously short-sighted and poor and they both speak with such confidence Mm-hmm. Like I know, even Sarah, you know, I know he's cheated on me before, but it's going to be so good with our family. And then Megan, I know he is the love of my life. I'm like, you guys. Ugh. One thing that I find very interesting about Sarah is the way her accent and her way of speaking, her enunciation changes when she's talking to Michael versus yeah. when she's talking to her friends or yeah. she's doing a confessional. She takes on what I would term an ebonic style of speech. And I don't know if that's a politically correct term or even an actually correct term, but it's what I think she's trying to do, which is set mimic or mirror what, what she thinks seen. Michael what would be comfortable hearing. And it's it's very awkward watching a white person as a white person watching a white person doing that <laughs> because it's like and actually you you mentioned Flavor Flav. And, and, and in relation to Marcelino, I'm going to mention Flavor Flav again. So that's getting struck with lightning twice because who fucking cares about Flavor Flav at this point? But I recently rewatched for like the fourth or fifth time, yes, believe it or not, Flavor of Love, which is one of my favorite old school. Yeah, and that's right. You feel free to choke because it's it's just it's that surprising. Wow. Um, that you can't even take it. So I've always loved Flavor of Love. I actually love Flavor Flav like as a personality and from watching that show. And he's truly funny. And um, well, in the second season of Flavor of Love, you know, most of the contestants, it's a dating show. It's it's like the right. bachelor. And actually he refers to himself as the black chiller because <laughs> obviously he's black. Um and most of the contestants, there were two seasons. Most of the contestants on each season were African-American women. There were a few white women and maybe a couple of Latino women or mixed race women kind of scattered within. But, you know, the vast majority of the contestants were black, which, which you know, makes some sense. And in the second season, there was a what appeared to be a completely white woman, so not mixed race, not partially black, although I don't know. She seemed like just a white girl from San Diego, which is not exactly a, a you know, scary, dangerous place to live. Mm-hmm. And she put on, she affected this accent that was sort of ebonic style mm-hmm. in the show where she spoke all the time the way Sarah speaks when she's just speaking to Michael Mm -hmm. the thing that I'm referring to this thing that I'm talking about and in in the course of the show some of the the black contestants got irritated with her because they thought that she was essentially you know at best copying them and trying to take on their ways and at worst making fun of them Mm -hmm. by you know sort of mimicking them in this way and they sort of started to turn on her and attack her over the course of the season and finally the day that she leaves the show so she doesn't actually get eliminated and by the way guys for anyone who's versed in this I'm talking about Buckwild was her nickname Um, (laughs) the, the day that she 
She actually isn't eliminated. She, she's he he would hand out clocks instead of roses. So she's given her her clock and she's going to be able to stay. But she chooses to leave because she's so angry with one of the other contestants. And as she's making her case to Flav about why he should get rid of the other girl, she, he 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 sort of stops her short and says, "Where the fuck did your accent go?" Because suddenly, as she's speaking out of true emotion and anger and frustration, she completely loses that that sort of accent that she had <laughs> taken on, and so it's sort of exposed as fake, you know, right. as put as put on and purposefully put on. And she sort of leaves the show in shame, and and there's this underlying question of whether she's sort of racist or if she should be like fully condemned for having done this or if it was just misguided and then I feel that way with Sarah too and I feel I so too. weird about it and I can't decide how I'm supposed to interpret this it's true um, I feel like she odd. does that when she's talking to any black person though because she mm. kind of does that with his mom a little bit but much when less she's around them and then when she's around like his family when she's around uh his family she kind of falls into that but then when she's just talking to her friend emmy it's a it's totally different gone. because it's the friend doesn't gone. have that and no. so it's completely when she's talking to us it's completely gone so it's it's very i agree with you i have noticed that as well um and it's it's a little bit um off-putting it's a little off-putting exactly so okay so now we go to lizzie and scott and they get to this hotel and Lizzie's staying with Jasmine. Um, and Lizzie is like a child. Like, I get yep. it. You've been in jail for 10 years and this is like your freedom. But she's such a fucking child. And she's like, and <clears throat> Jasmine kind of appreciates it because Jasmine is a child. She's 19. She hasn't seen her mom in 10 years. So for her, it's kind of exciting. So they get into the hotel room and Lizzie's like jumping on the bed with her daughter and they like lay down and then Scott kind of lays down next to Lizzie and is sort of weird. And Adam is like sitting at the foot of the bed all awkward because it's totally awkward. So and, awkward. And then Lizzie's like, come on, let's go swimming. And I mean, I, I, I don't know. I kind of understand Lizzie where she's coming from because it's like her day of freedom and she finally got out and she's so excited about it and she's reunited with her daughter. But at the same time, it's like, she's so over the top. It's like a lot. And maybe that's just her personality and she's just a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's right. It's just annoying. Um, and she's kind of a bitch because she says something about like how he's going to buy her more stuff and right. in a very she's constantly talking way. about that yeah, yeah in a very like sort of um <clears throat> entitled and demanding way like okay well oh, i have so much stuff oh but you're gonna buy me more okay and but again i think that that's still her trying to keep him she's she's setting expectations for oh him. for sure she's for sure saying, yeah this is the situation this is your life now and he's and... meeting them i mean to, uh-huh. I mean, he's also going, falling further and further down the rabbit hole of debt, but he's totally doing whatever she wants. He, yep. feel- he has not failed any of her tests. No, and it's because, you know, he feels like this is what he's got to do to keep her. Um, and so they all get ready to go swimming, and Scott is feeling ignored by Lizzie. So this is, this is the beginning of Scott's little pity party. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, like, super excited to be free and wants to go swimming and 
wants to spend time with Jasmine and is happy. And he wants her to throw him a bone and she absolutely refuses. I mean, she makes very clear they're not going to be intimate. They're going to be in different rooms. She wants to spend time with her daughter. She expects them to provide financially at every whim of hers. He wanted to literally give him nothing in return. He wanted a Caitlyn or a Brittany and he got Lizzie. (laughs) And he's kind of pushing back here at, at, at this point on this day with the pool he takes her outside and he says hey you know like you gotta throw me a bone here and she basically just says no yeah and he folds yeah um yeah that was it's hard scott is so scott's really feeling in a bad place about this whole thing he Mm -hmm. he's not sure how to take it um so then we see kate and matt caitlin and matt and it's very they just go grocery shopping and math tells us that in jail, they only get half toothbrushes because they're too easy to make into weapons if they're mm-hmm. the full length. So um, dental care is not a high priority in jail, um, as uh, witnessed by uh, Matt's missing tooth. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. Um, so then Brittany and Marcelino, she talks about... Um, how she has a three-year-old son Giovanni that she hasn't seen in a while and she is just she's so impressed with the beauty of the desert in Nevada and she they stop on the side of the road and she says she just needs to go for a walk by herself and this is just another example of her like emotional intelligence where she's just like I just need a minute like give me Mm -hmm. a minute to just like soak it in it, I, she's clearly overwhelmed by being free, being with this guy that she's finally with for the first time. She's probably anticipating seeing her child. And then she's surrounded by the beautiful desert. And so she goes out a little bit from the road and she's sitting in the middle of the desert, just kind of contemplating, you know, just kind of thinking and getting her head together and Marcelino gives her like five minutes and then he has to go and sit next to her. I know. And I was wondering on that one with the editing, like if they did him dirty on it, because they made it look like he didn't give her any time. I know. I know. I was thinking that too. I'm like, how long was she really out there? And she didn't seem to be yeah. upset that he came and joined her. No, I mean, for all we know, it was like a good 15 minutes or something. And he was yeah. like going to check on her. Right. And she was just kind of like, you know, whatever. Like, she's just enjoying the silence and she well, says she's that a mature human being too like she can roll with the punches yeah she's like olga i just yeah want, she i want like to hear olga. silence I want <laughs> well, to enjoy the, the silence. silence yes there we go um because i can imagine being in prison must be really loud that's what she says she's like yeah. it's just this constant onslaught and it's so and when she said that that to me was just such a fascinating um like tidbit because i realized wow you know i have babies in my house for example and sometimes I hear them at night and that annoys me you know that Mm. wakes me up and then it's hard for me to go back to sleep and the whole nine yards and she is literally surrounded by clanking and people basically making as much noise as they want whenever they want like no one the guards aren't going to stop them right from yelling or doing whatever in the middle of the night I mean I can imagine having to learn in prison how to sleep through basically anything and how sometimes you're still not going to be able to sleep because it's just so loud yeah, and I—I I mean, that it would be torture to me. I mean, I'm someone who needs a lot of sleep. Well, and I just sometimes I don't appreciate and I take for granted how often I'm surrounded by silence. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I mean, I work from home a lot, and sometimes I'll be in my house and it'll be quiet, and 
it's almost too quiet sometimes. Like I have to turn on the TV just to get ambient noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to have that. Like it was sometimes with my kids, if they're like arguing or there's yelling or whatever, I'm just like, stop. Like, I just need you guys to be quiet. I just can't, right. I can't hear anything right now. Um, so I get it. And I just, I can't imagine how, how much anxiety that would create for me um and the fact that she recognizes it too you know yeah. again she's just so emotionally intelligent she's like okay this is something that I kind need. of traumatized me and i'm going to take this moment to really come to terms with the fact that it's over mm-hmm. and now i'm not going to be surrounded by chaos and noise all the time and i'm going to appreciate it mm-hmm. and start and start and start making that transition you yeah know? she's just so smart <laughs> i like her so then we go to crazy and crazy, Scott and Lizzie. And okay, <clears throat> I 100% love how confident she is wearing a bikini. Good for her. You go, girl. Mm-hmm. But like, they, her, I know Jasmine bought her a bunch of clothes and stuff, but like, you couldn't have thought to buy her like a cover up. Like, well, maybe she has a cover up and she's just not wearing it. I guess. But, like, you're in a hotel. Yeah, but there's nobody in that hotel. That's one thing I'll say. This was, like, the sad courtyard Marriott in a town that doesn't have anything to see. And so there's probably, like, no one there. I know. You never see anyone. You're right. You're right. right. I'm being judgmental. I'm being judgmental. Um, So they go to the pool, and Lizzie is just loving it. She hasn't been in a pool in 10 years She's just enjoying her freedom, enjoying the water, loving life. And this is where, like, I can't get mad at her. Like, I get it. It must be so amazing to just be able to just jump yeah. in a pool. No, um, but I don't agree with you. I mean, it's so all about her is the problem. And she has this child who she essentially abandoned. And she's just focused on herself. And I no, have to say, as a true. mom, like, that's that's not where my focus would be. My focus well, would be on just purely connecting and trying to make up for the loss that I caused to my child. And instead, she's like, oh, it's like my birthday and Christmas rolled into one. I know. But I mean, this like, is Lizzie no, we're not. talking about. She's not know, the I'm typical mom. Like, she was also happy to leave her kid with her parents while she went on, like, a drug binge. So, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, you I think mean, now that she's clean and sober, mm-hmm. assuming she is, which I don't really know. but She moved on to another she addiction. She is. Like, Jesus. spending people's money. Like, and she's Jesus. just NG. Oh, yeah. Forgot about Jesus. Um, she yeah. just doesn't want to never sleep with forget Scott. she just doesn't want to sleep with scott um and scott's outside telling the producers about his pity party and i feel like they're both overreacting in a way i think scott had very high expectations of when lizzie got out she was gonna react to him how caitlin reacted to matt or right you know right. how everybody reacts how all the other couples have reacted upon seeing each other um when they get released and he she didn't i mean she gave him a big hug but then it was like all right, now I'm going to focus on me and we're going to have a party. It's my release day, which apparently is a holiday in her mind, um, as you were saying. And so she's very focused on just having fun and being free. And let's just enjoy the fact that I'm free. And Scott is just like, you know, you're not even holding my hand. Like, you won't even look at me. Like, he's so desperate. He, and he just dropped like 300 bucks on her on like stupid candy and this hotel room and had to get two rooms because she needed to stay with her daughter and not stay with him. And I think he's feeling the overwhelming pressure of bills and how expensive this is all getting and how 
cavalier she is about using his money and spending his money and he's not getting anything in return. I mean, we've, this is like a common theme with them. Like what's in it for Scott and there's nothing in it for Scott. And he's kind of feeling like you couldn't even hold my hand. Like I just want it to be real. I just want to feel the love and I'm not feeling the love. I'm just feeling being taken advantage of. And he's in that respect, he's right. I don't know if that was the right time to do this little thing, but I get it. Like he's he's not wrong. And then Lizzie's whole like, it's all in your head, like stupid thing. Like she's so Well, she's trying to deflect and distract him from what's obviously true. Right. She's just so immature and self-absorbed. She's manipulative. I mean, her her manipulation knows no bounds. Yeah, so that's bad. Um, okay, so then we go to the triangle. Um, Megan, Michael, and Sarah. And it's just still so sad. I mean, Sarah's on the road to get Michael. Megan is heading to the airport. And, um, you know, they... I just... I, I can't get over how confident they both are that... Like, especially Sarah, I can't believe how confident she is that this guy who has cheated on her in the past has turned over this new leaf in prison and is now so faithful to her and is going to be this total family man. And how Megan is like, this is he's clearly everything I've been looking for. Really? I can't even Sarah can't even speak in complete sentences. I think Sarah's in denial because she has to be like she's yeah. in survival mode no, I and agree. she's in denial. And I get that because she has a child and that child needs to be taken care of. And this is the child's father. And no matter what, he's going to be involved. And so I think she's thinking, well, my best bet is to just make it work with him. And if that involves sticking my head in the sand, that's what I'm going to do. Megan has much less of an excuse. Because oh, Megan no came into this. She came into this with no baggage related to Michael, no concrete thing holding her to him and yet she decided sort of purposefully to bury her head in the sand for no good reason and sarah's quote says quote i'm sorry sarah says i could not have picked a better father for my daughter really really you couldn't have picked a better father well but wouldn't you want to believe that wouldn't that be like the only thing in the world you want to believe if you were her i mean i get it she doesn't want to think, oh, I, I had my child with a fucking felon who's going to cheat on me forever. Yeah, but I mean, that that would be a sad, sad thing to wake up to every day. So instead of yeah. recognizing the truth, she just lies to herself. Yeah. I mean, this is a tale as old as time. No, I mean, I agree with you. It just seems so like you're you can believe that. But really putting it out there on TV when everybody clearly knows that's not the truth. Like, it's just sad. it just makes me sad for them. And then my uh, Megan is actually printing out her boarding pass and she gets a call from michael and he tells her she's like so excited and she's like i I wrangled my brother into dropping driving me to the airport and her brother's standing right there and she's on speakerphone and michael's like i don't want you to come and she's like are you fucking shitting me right now (laughs) i'm like literally printing out my boarding pass and it's yeah that was crazy two hours before she's the plane takes off so like like why did he wait that long and i know that the real world reason is that sarah was coming but how did he not know that he knew sarah was coming and he and she megan says that she's like 
why would you he's like i have something special planned because if you come get me like i gotta go see my parole officer and i want to see aviana and i okay but you knew all this yeah this is not new none of that is new like he could have told her the day before i mean i'm assuming she bought those tickets and paid money and and she took the time i mean she says it was a waste of time because she went to the airport and got her brother to take her and who knows what he had to go through to be able to take her but even if it was nothing like it's still such a fucking shitty thing to do yeah i'd be pissed as hell and he tries to like and then of course he plays it off by but i planned something special for the first time we see each other so of course she's still pissed at the airport but then later when he calls her and explains to her you know that he really wanted something special for them he didn't want her to to see him coming out of prison he'd rather them do something special that he has planned then she totally like eats it up and is like oh he's so he's so sweet he wanted to plan something special for me well, um, and this is this is where the question gets answered i think that we posed at the beginning of the episode which is how the fuck is this guy like getting you know, hooking these women in and i think it shows that he has he talks some degree of good game you well know I, I think mean? he talks good game but i think also like you know this they aren't chance meetings like megan's cousin hooked her up with him and then these you know sarah knew him from before uh, and doesn't seem to have like a fantastic home life i don't know where she met him but these girls have like very low self-esteem and the guys who meet the women in prison too i mean clint is a basket case and marcelino's got his own issues but you see these people who like they get these pen pals and from several of them you hear how like i've been writing to several people this guy just took the bait <coughs> bless Excuse you me, sorry this guy just took the bait longer or this woman just took the bait longer you know like they kind of cast a wide net you know when they like seek pen pals or seek writing buddies and then they just kind of see okay who's gonna stick you i know? couldn't agree more and then it's the most desperate the most insecure ones that stick and you're in prison you can say whatever you want and everybody sees that clearly except for these people so it's very i don't know it's it's and it's sad because megan is just like she's so angry that he bailed on her and she's like i just feel fooled you know i feel like he i was fooled why would he call me this way i just feel fooled and i'm like girl just wait you haven't seen nothing yet <laughs> but it's as if it's as if he couldn't possibly do anything I know. that would make her you know kind of give up on him which is why she's the perfect patsy for him and it's why he chose her oh of course yeah she's i mean she's in it i mean this in, in a way these relationships are almost sort of symbiotic you know where where they're each getting what they want out of the other person yeah and then I think eventually Until the buck, they get the buck out. stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the buck stops somewhere, but um, I kind of get it. Yeah. And then just saying. So that's where episode three ends. That's right. And should we just go on to episode four? Totally. Or do we want to start a new episode? No, I think we can just keep going, and okay. then you know, because it's. I mean, I think that they they they. They melt into each other in a way that other shows don't. It's like they, they, it's like the, it's clearly their um, the production scheme is like keeping people on the hook by constantly, you know, they're basically all cliffhangers. In other words, yeah. No, I agree. Okay, so now we have season two, episode four, "Washing Off Prison," and this aired on December twenty eighth of last year, 
Um, and so this would have been like the episode right before New Year. Right. Um, okay. So we start with Matt and Caitlin and Caitlin is, they're driving and he, he asks, you know, where the heck are we going? And she tells him that she, they're not going back to his mom's right away. Cause she wanted to surprise him with the cabin in the woods because they know they're going to be staying with Matt's mom and it's going to be awkward. And so they wanted some alone time. Basically they talk a lot about having sex. That's and all they talk about. That's all they talk about. They just w- can't wait to have sex with each other. In fact, they can't wait so much that they literally pull off on the side of the road. This was insane. Walk into the woods a little bit and bang right there in the woods on the on ground. On camera. On camera. I mean, like, I am not a germaphobe. But this was even offending me. I was like, gross. Mud this is very hard to and watch. Dirt. And, and then even said, I mean, we're like, right there, there's bugs. And I'm like, ah. It's like you couldn't wait another, I mean, how long could it possibly Or have been? sex in the fucking car. Like, yeah, I don't that's know. True too. Like, there's so many other, <laughs> I don't, other than like in the middle of dirt. I don't know. Anyways, that's. I also kept thinking about the fact that it's illegal. Like, you're not allowed to have sex in public. And it's like, and a national are, park. This, guy's, this guy's just gotten out of prison. Now it's a federal offense. Right, right. right. You're in a <laughs> national, national park. park. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and do this thing that's illegal completely on camera. I, I don't understand the risk-taking I know. mentality. They must feel very, like, there must be some sort of thing that lets them feel like this is okay because i they all do something pretty shady on camera i agree all the time um all right so then we go to clint and tracy and clint it's 5 30 in the morning and he goes to the prison to wait for tracy to get released he's just so he's so over the top i mean he's so like emotionally underdeveloped (laughs) um he shouldn't be out in the world and he's like, oh, my God, if she doesn't get released, it'll be the worst thing that it will have ever happened to me in my life. And he may not be wrong. I mean, this kid has clearly been well taken care of. Right. Um, so He's been protected from you know, what probably would have been a very difficult life for him because of whatever his issues are that remain, com- to me, completely mysterious. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, and he has an I don't know what's mother. wrong with him. I don't know that. And I don't know that he really is mentally challenged in some sort of or emotionally challenged in some way i i think he's mentally challenged but i really do and and i don't say that lately no but i don't know i i can't tell whether he really is or he's just been overly protected by his mother his entire life because his dad doesn't seem all that worried about him and kind of backs off but the mom is so in enmeshed in his life that it almost seems like she's made him like codependent on her in many ways either for emotional support or financial support whatever he just cannot get away from his mom and she really like is so involved in her son's life okay but so this is one of the reasons that I think he's mentally challenged is because then that makes sense to me if I had a mentally challenged child who was not challenged enough that I could justify keeping him at home with me or keeping him 
housed in like a protective environment, if he was just on that border that this guy to me likely is, then I would probably err on the side of caution as far as taking care of him, you know, from afar as almost like an outpatient, you know, that, that is probably how I would react to. Okay. That's, that's why, that's why I think that he's probably mentally challenged because it makes her actions make sense. My counter to that is He's been married twice before and we've met one of his ex-wives and she does not seem like somebody who would marry somebody who's mentally, she doesn't seem like an equally mentally challenged person who would marry somebody mentally challenged. I mean, she seems like she's, she's a manager. She seems pretty together. And for her to have married this guy seems like, you know, I don't know. It just seems odd to me that, like, if you, I mean, I get the whole idea of having somebody who's just not quite capable and wanting to coddle them and take care of them and enable them and for life, you know. But when once they've been married twice, it's kind of like, I feel like once they got married once, you could be like, ah, oh, I'm done. You know, I've set them free. But then getting married again... And then, you know, I don't know. I feel like you would do more to protect them if she really is trying to protect him and take care of him. How could she let him get mixed up with somebody in prison? Well, again, so I think it's about towing. That's why I sort of said outpatient. It's sort of towing the line of understanding that this person is an adult. And I think he's recognized as an adult, an independent individual by essentially legally And, you know, possibly morally or practically or on whatever level you want, like he's just he's just capable enough that he has to be given his own life and given his own freedom to make his own decisions. And that means that the mom's going to have to pick her battles. She's not going to be able to prevent him from doing things that he wants to do. And I think that in Clint's particular case, he has fixated on the idea of love and marriage and partnership as the thing that he thinks is going to fix his life and so it's probably the one area where he doesn't let his mom tell him what to do control him if you want to call it take care of him yeah I guess so and and so I think this is sort of his Achilles heel and there's really nothing she can do about it but try to sort of minimize the damage which is exactly what she does yeah I I guess so I don't know I just oh god and again I'm not making fun of him no 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 really badly for him I think that his storyline is very dark because he's one of these people that sort of falls through the cracks of society where he really isn't capable of taking care of himself, but he's recognized as an adult who not only can, but has to take care of himself. What if he didn't have these parents? I mean, he'd be the one in prison if well, he, he didn't got, have people taking care of that, him. I don't know that that's true. He's gotten married twice and he has a job. Like I know, because he has somebody constantly cleaning up his messes for him. Yeah, I mean, but there are people out there like this who aren't mentally challenge they just are lazy and are happy to be codependent because somebody's always going to take care of them i mean it it happens to a lesser degree in a lot of families right where there's always that one child that the mom feels like or yeah that the parent feel it's usually the mom i don't mean to be sexist in any way but it's typically the mom yeah it's typically the mom who's like who enables because it's not that they don't think their kid is smart enough but they just feel like, oh, they need a little bit more help. Maybe they're not going to be doctors. Maybe they're not going to be, you know, super, super successful. So I'm going to just help them get there and give them everything they want. And 
probably guilt driven. Like I brought this person in the world who's not actually capable of taking care of himself. And so it's going to be my job to kind of get him through life. Like I get that. But I'm talking about those people that are capable, but you just never give them the opportunity. You just always take care of them. Oh, oh, okay. I lost you. I mean, I have people in that. I know people like that, you know, that I know very well where their parents are constantly paying for everything. They buy them. Mm Mm-hmm. They pay their rent, they buy their cars, they, you know, pay for all of the stuff for their kids. And because the kid never learns to do that stuff on their own and figure it out and fail, sometimes they're, they're kind of groomed and raised to feel like they can't do it by themselves and they become dependent on their parents, even as an, as an adult, you know, they have, they get married, they have children and they're like, oh, can you pay for this for my kid? Can you pay for this for my kid? Can you pay, you know? And it's like, they never understand what it's like to fail. That's why people always say, you have to let your kids fail once in a while so that they know how to succeed. You don't know how to succeed unless you fail. You know? You yeah, ha- you I, to- I hear you. So I, I think he is a more extreme version of that because, you know, I think he just presents poorly. <laughs> um. So I think he is more of an extreme, but he does live on his own. I mean, he doesn't live with his parents. He has a house. Um, but I just think giving him a credit card and letting him go nuts is a little extreme. She's just, I just think the mom makes whatever challenges he may or may not have like 10 times worse. Well, I think that, I think that it's hard to say yeah. what we would actually do in this situation. No, it's, it's true. long and short of it. It's true. I mean, I, I, I think that's right. I think it's much easier. I'm telling you, I was a much better parent before I became a parent. Um, <laughs> and it's so true. I feel like I was a much better parent to my stepson than I am to my two biological children because I didn't know my stepson until he was, you know, five years old, four or five years old. And so I was always trying to like, I, I didn't have that like from birth bond where he was, you know, mm-hmm. my husband's son and we didn't even get married until um, he was like seven or eight. And so I feel like I was constantly like, oh, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. It was my whole like, I'm a better parent because I don't, he's not actually my child. And I couldn't make any decisions for him. So I would just tell my husband like, oh, well he's watching too much TV or we should give him this or we should do this. We should do that. And then when it comes to your own kids, I mean, like I'm definitely, my kids are just different. It's just different. It's just different. It's like I said, I was just a much better parent before I became one because then I became a parent. And now I feel like, Oh, you guys want to hear a podcast about like prison? (laughs) Cue it up, mom. I want to hear, I want to hear my, I want to hear my podcast. I need to hear watch what crap is. I need to hear the bitch sesh. You guys keep it down back there. <laughs> Mama needs a break. That's all there is to it. I know. All right. So anyway, Tracy finally shows up and she tells him, you know, she's like, I warned him I'd gained weight. So I don't look exactly like my picture. Um, She gets out and they just make out and she seems really into him. I mean, he's really into her. Yeah. She seems really into him. Um, But she kind of is. She so he's like, wait, how do you have all this makeup? And we learn about prison makeup, which yeah, is I love these tidbits. I like know. the prison, the prison tidbits. The She's best. like the liner is actually real pencil, and my which ma- I kept thinking about lead poisoning. Well, so I know I'm like, and because she has it like under her eyes too, 
And um, then she was saying that the mascara is a mixture of coffee and toothpaste, which yeah. is so, is it really worth it? Not I, to me, man. I don't wear makeup anymore. I, I don't either. Practically ever. I know. I don't either. So I'm just like, it's, it wouldn't be worth it to me. I would see prison as an opportunity to not have to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, let it go. All right, so they're, like, making out and all excited to see each other. Um, so then we go to Brittany and Marcelino. And, you know, Brittany's said and commented how she – so she's one of those people – well, both of them, I guess, Tracy and Brittany, are those two that got released and are not in street clothes. So they're in right. prison. She's still in her prison blues, and she's feeling very self-conscious. You know, they pull right. up to the hotel – and she's like, what, you're going to do valet? And I'm in my, like, prison blues? Like, what do you... I get it. Yeah. I get it. I think that she's, I think that she's mistaken about whether people would generally know yeah. that that's prison clothing. Because she's so used to it, and it's such a part of her, like, knowledge base. Yeah. I would never think that just because someone was wearing, like, an ugly denim outfit that they had just gotten out of prison. That would be, like, the last thing that would occur to oh, me. Oh, of course. And so, I mean, they almost look like scrubs. Yeah, they look like scrubs. You know, yeah, so, you might just think it's her uniform yeah, or whatever I, job she does. I wouldn't have thought that either. But, you know, but I get how when you know what it is, you just feel like everybody. Yeah, you just feel like everybody you. knows. And yeah, she's nice, just self-conscious. It's a really, it looks like a really nice hotel. And so. He, yeah, it's like a hotel casino in Vegas, I think. Yeah, and she is like, you know, look at my, you know, he he is like fixated on oh look at this and look at this store it's a mermaid store and this and she's like dude i don't want to fucking shop right now i want to go and cha- get out of these clothes right. like she's just like i feel dirty i've been in prison i'm wearing and he doesn't get it and i think that's fair enough i mean he's never been in prison like you know he's he's yeah and then he and he ultimately makes sure that she gets to where she feels comfortable so she they go up to the room and he's really you know done a lot for her so he has yeah, but it's this whole, like, seduction scene that I was so creeped out by. It's like, I'm sorry, but they've never actually really dated. They've, I mean, they've seen each other face-to-face, but they've never actually been together as a couple. So for him to create this physical environment that's so obviously geared towards sex, I found distasteful. I think he should have let her make that move. And I think that she would have. Yeah, but I think that, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, okay, so there's, like, rose petals all over the place. But he got yeah, her, and there's like, like a bucket of champagne and there's all this crap again with the alcohol. I mean, she just went over the rules. I know that that <laughs> totally confused me. And so but then he also got her presents and he bought her a dress because he calls her his pinup girl. And yeah, but she hates it. It's like he I doesn't know. know her. I know. But like, it's just I thought it was sweet and she, I thought it was creepy. She felt loved by all of it. I thought what was really sweet was the present that he got her. That she had told him, I guess, in, during their time getting to know each other, that she used to collect quarters from everywhere. That was so sweet. And that was so that sweet. That she used to have these books of quarters. And that one day she came home from school and her quarter books were empty because her parents were alcoholics and they needed money to buy a drink. And so they took all of her money. And she was heartbroken because this was her kind of her thing so he got her a quarter book and it had all the quarters it was full and it was just very thoughtful and sweet of him to do that um and then cue shower sex 
So yeah, this was really <laughs> gross. There was a lot of info yeah. that I definitely did not. I felt need. like that was TMI. Just just say they're gonna have shower sex and move on to the next. And I think this is something that happens in Love After Lockup a lot, where they end up having sex in the shower because I think that it's some weird agreement in a way with production where it's like as close as they can get to filming actual sex because I think that normally in these shows at some point they basically kick the camera crew out of the room and then you know the implication is clear that they're having sex but with the shower sex I noticed this with Jonna yeah and what's his name as well that the doors cracked and I think it's some kind of FCC style thing <laughs> work around like, like work around exactly <laughs> it's a loophole and it's like and it's just so gross. I know. Grotesque. Well, and maybe the cabin that Caitlin got didn't have a shower. So that's why they had to stop on the side of the road. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Yeah, because you never see them in their cabin. No, but you see them. You no, know, you do. You see them in bed. Oh, you do? Yeah, oh, yeah. You're right. You do. You're right. So, yeah. So, anyway, that was gross. Um, then we go to um, Megan and Sarah. So, Megan is back in Texas at her parents' house. I'm confused. Does she live with her parents? I don't think she lives with her parents. I think that she's, like, so close to them, and she lives so close to them that she spends, like, a lot of time over there. But I don't think she lives with them. Okay. Do you think she brought her teddy bear with her? Or that it was just in the bed, and so she decided to sleep with her teddy bear? Unclear. I I find it creepy when adults still have, like, a blankie or a teddy bear or like lala and her fixation with the bottle like I th- and then sheena sheena has that that frog yeah i feel like it's weird it's very weird so i yeah. thought that was very but it totally fit with her like not having the emotional capacity to be an adult um and then sarah you see sarah at the prison waiting in her queen t-shirt um and then and does Megan's brother still live at home? Because then they both go downstairs and meet up in the kitchen. Also unclear. I think this is just a very close family. Yeah. Where even if the kids have moved out, they like just moved out. <laughs> yeah. And that could be true. I mean, yeah. So they're talking or whatever. And the brother now is like kind of the voice of reason. And he's just like, ugh. You know, this is what he did on day one. Day one, he told you not to come. Like, come on, sister. (laughs) Yeah, but we've all been there where we've had a friend who was, like, clearly making a truly terrible decision. And there's nothing that you can do. Like, they're not going to listen. And it just becomes an awkward thing within your relationship with that person Mm -hmm. that you so clearly disagree with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And you start to question almost who they are. You know, like, Mm -hmm. how could you be this stupid like how can i have a friend that's this stupid <laughs> i mean mm-hmm. it's it, it almost becomes like a personal affront mm-hmm. yeah i guess yeah yeah you're right you're right so that's where the brother's coming from but of course she's not going to listen to her brother i mean no. nobody listens to their brother um no so then we go to clint and tracy which who is i call her lizzie point two um because tracy is a little bit lizzie they go to this hair salon and she wants to be blonde again is to get her hair did. And um, the only difference is she at least asks Clint first before she just like starts demanding and buying stuff, you know, has he started calling her his goddess yet? Oh yeah. Are we there? Oh yeah. That, that was is... like the first thing he said to her. You're my goddess. 
this this is the thing where I think that he's not working with a full deck. It's just <laughs> it has this it has this vibe to me of him being so intellectually sort of decrepit that he actually thinks he's in a movie or a fairy tale. Or yeah. Cuz it it has this ring of truth to it where he actually believes it and no reasonable human being of normal intelligence could think that. You know what right. I mean? No, no, no. I I I believe you. I mean I and I totally hear what you're saying. Like I I agree. I think that um I I don't understand the fascination with this woman and why he thinks she's so amazing. Um, but I don't either. I'm guessing she talks good game. I think maybe, but he ends up, so he was given a thousand dollar budget by his mom, um, for three days for this three day adventure that he's on with Lizzie, which is a lot of money. It's a lot of money for three days, but he's already done in the first day. Like he's, yeah. he spends $350 so that she can be blonde again. Cause she has like roots galore when she gets out of prison. So they do her hair. Um, she gets her makeup done. He go. She gives him a list of what she needs, and it's not like outrageous stuff. It's like bath wash, no. toothpaste, yeah. toothbrushes, whatever, toiletries, toiletries, that kind of stuff. Um, so he goes to go pick that up while she's getting her hair done, and he stops. You know, I mean, these stylists that are doing her hair, because of course, I swear, they're having a field day. These people cannot help themselves. It's like the ninety day fiance people too. Like they cannot help. They have to tell people immediately, like we just met today, you know, or I, I just got out of prison, you know, and that's her big thing is I just got out of prison, and they're like, oh. <laughs> great oh wow Let's talk about that yeah and so they ask what she's done and she talks about how she went to federal prison and because she wrote bad checks um so it's all this stuff and they're just like fascinated by her and they're you know i mean they they're working they're they have clients they have to you know oh you work in this is great of course you're in love um she's like yeah we just met <laughs> and i think he's gonna propose tonight oh terrible anyway then we move on to Brittany and marcelino and this is where things t- take a turn for them mm-hmm. they go to dinner and um things get awkward he starts to talk about the future and he's like you know where do you think we should be in five years and she's sort of like i don't live in shoulds like i kind of set my own rules i'm not gonna live by society standards i feel like they're not talking about the same thing because he's like, I want to set goals. Like, I want to know where this is heading. And she's kind of talking in very big picture terms of like, I don't follow society's standards for success. I'm like, yeah, okay. they're not speaking the same language. They're, they're just not. Having a, they're, having, they're having a communication problem. They're yeah. not really having a substantive problem. They're not. And he's getting frustrated because he feels like she's not answering the question, which I agree. She's not really answering the question he posed. She's just, but she's not purposefully avoiding it. She just doesn't understand. Right. And so she's giving an answer and that he finds completely unsatisfactory and not really an answer to his question. And then, you know, this is where he, he gets very aggressive in his speaking. Like not like yeah, physically aggressive, but he gets kind of like verbally aggressive. And she's just like, no, you're not going to talk to me like that. Which I think is great for her. Like, good for you. You go, girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, mm-hmm. uh-uh. I didn't get out. <laughs> I didn't get out of prison so that you can sit here and treat me like this. Right. And she finally is like, very calmly. Like, she doesn't 
have this fit. She doesn't storm out. She doesn't yell, but she just kind of no. She just says calmly this isn't gets up and she's like, "Okay, I'm not having a good time. I'll meet you back up in the room." And she calmly walks out of the. She doesn't make a scene. Um, she just walks out of the room, which I think is extremely awesome. Like she's a better she's a better person than I am. I would have been like. Oh my god, I'm so fucking pissed. <laughs> she needed a breather and she knew it. And that's something I aspire to do because I would have like yelled at my husband through gritted teeth and like <laughs> I mean, honestly, they they say that, you know, that it's like the most valuable thing you can do for yourself to take a little bit of time when you feel a negative emotion before you react. Oh, 100%. That's, that's, that's like the definition of mindfulness. Yeah. And that's what she's practicing coming out of prison. And it almost seems like one of those Nelson Mandela style things where she like learned in prison how to be more mindful in the world. I have been going to therapy for years and I still struggle with this. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's great that she has that. And I, I, I like I was being serious. Like I literally aspire to be Me that too. mindful because I can get so reactive with my husband and with my kids like I just am reactive a lot of times but I'm trying to be more mindful so that I don't react um, I struggle right with away. that too. but I do struggle with it and I know you know and I think it's very natural to struggle I mean I deal with people getting divorced every day right and so my biggest a piece of advice to them is you know, when you get emails, it, it's, there's no reason for them to email each other if they don't have children after they get divorced, right? They're done. Right. They're done. But if they do have kids, they still have to co-parent. And one of the hardest things for people when they co-parent is the person who's typically been in charge of the kid stuff has to let go of some of that control. Yeah, And that can lead to a lot of fighting and a lot of anger and a lot of very hateful words and emails and texts. And I always tell people, look, for the recipient of those emails and texts, if it's not directly related to logistics regarding your child or information regarding your child and it's just lecturing or insulting or whatever, archive it. Just put it in archive or ignore it. You don't need to yeah. respond to everything. And yeah. for things you do need to respond to that may be laden with those undercurrents of like hate, <laughs> um, don't respond right away. Take half an hour take 20 take minutes beat. just take a little bit because i know my husband struggled with this when he would get text messages from his ex-wife he would immediately respond and i'd be like don't respond until talk to me first not that i'm going to tell him what to say but just tell me about it so you can like decompress and then respond because you will be much it will not instigate like it just inflames everything when there's this instantaneous reaction. And I see it all the time with people. I always tell them, like, take a beat. Take a minute. Just take a breather. Re you know what's hard about that for me? Mm -hmm. is, and, I, and I bet this is true for a lot of people. And tell me if you agree. It's about not wanting to have to keep thinking about it. It's about not wanting yeah, to I have know. to say, okay, I'm going to have to re-engage with this thing that has really upset me in half an hour. I'd rather just deal with it now. And there's this understanding, I think, that you're going to deal with it in a way that's aggressive. And that you might be able to sort of get rid of the person and get rid of the problem 
by bullying someone, you know? Yeah, but then that, you... that's how I tend to handle things because I'm riding on this energetic wave yeah. of anger and negative emotion that frequently has worked for me. But like, in... I can, I can bulldoze people if I use that energy versus if I wait, I have to deal with it in a more nuanced way. And that requires more energy and it probably requires compromise, which God knows none of us wants to do. True. I think that's absolutely a hundred percent true. I think though, when you're in a divorce situation, the person who normally would get bulldozed and that would normally just go away after that kind of interaction tends to find their voice and then they come back and then it yeah. ends up turning into this back and forth and then you're constantly waiting to see what they're going to say back. Mm-hmm. And so to eliminate that, I mean, I just tell them, archive it, put it, save it for later. Don't read any of your personal email during the work day because, you know, focus on your work. And then at the end of the day, you can read those emails or mm-hmm. sit down. And, they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Read them at a time when you feel like you can relax, give it some time, and then you can respond. Because if you respond right away, you're just going to end up hating yourself and it's going to end up exploding. So I, all this to say, Brittany, girl, you are amazing because I wish I had your patience and your composure and your emotional intelligence, because I thought that was really, really great. Brittany for president, I think we can say. I know. Um, all right. Now we go back to Clinton Tracy, and he pays $350 in lingerie for her. So here we are. We're now at $700. Um, <laughs> and then he goes to the salon to go see Tracy. And he can't wait to see her. He's so excited. And he can't imagine her looking even more beautiful than she did when she got out with her toothpaste paste uh you know eyelashes eyelashes um and he sees her and he thinks she's amazing and she looks beautiful and it's great um i mean for her but it's all physical (laughs) oh of course it is well because you know what though i think i have to say though in just as an aside these are people, even Caitlin and Matt, I mean, these are people who have been communicating, and this is on a different level, but like, you know, I communicated with my husband via emails and telephone for, for like uh, two months before we actually met in person. And so when you finally, you, we've talked about everything. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked, we've built this connection, you know, with words and communication and we've talked about all these big things and little things and we know each other. So when you do meet for the first time in person, it is kind of physical. You are kind of more focused on the physical and the initial, you're like primed for it. Yeah. The initial relationship, the, the initial in-person relationship tends to be more physical because you've been spending all this time just being not physical which for them it's much longer i mean months and years or whatever of being not physical the only thing the only alternative they had was to like talk and make plans and this is where they get in trouble right because they say the things that they don't really mean um so anyway we get to speaking of physical we get to matt and caitlin and they're in bed and they're in washington and okay so i noticed something and i had to laugh um, this is going to say way too much about me, but we, they are staying at a cabin in Forks, 
which is the name oh of my God. the town. I knew, I knew, <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. This is hilarious. That's the town from Twilight. <laughs> yes, it is. Ladies like, and gentlemen. Oh my God. I've just like As if our taste secrets. in entertainment couldn't be like worse. I know. <laughs> Here we are. Here, Here we, we are. are. You're welcome. The Twilight series. Um, although I must say, I you know, I read all the books, but I did not see all the movies. I did. I've oh, I saw it. them all. I, I saw the first two. I actually went with my mom. Like every time one of these movies came out, mm-hmm. I would um actually go with her and it was a whole thing. And I would even get really pissed off when the kids that were inevitably in that movie theater even though i was fully an adult by then and just like slumming it they would like make noise and they would do stupid stuff in the theater and i would be so infuriated because the movie was so important to me you know and i would have been waiting all this time for this like a movie premiere and i have these like shithead you know 14 year olds who by all rights should have been the audience of that movie sitting there like doing stupid stuff and i would like yell at them and that's how seriously i took it so yes of course i noticed that forks was I know. the site of their i should have known trip. you would have noticed that i you know though okay I, i'm going off on a tangent here but i really enjoyed the twilight series oh me too and I, I loved the books i have to say i'm not a huge fan of like vampires supernatural no type stuff no that's why it was so popular because it bridged that gap between people who are already into like fantasy stuff which is not me and just the mainstream like it it made that completely mainstream and, yeah and also across ages too because yeah. even though it was clearly young adult fiction I read it in college you know oh. I was a history major reading like the most dense you know sort of text and writing theses about them and I was still staying up all night reading Twilight so oh my God. clearly they she got something right I think I was already out of law school when I was reading it yeah I mean I was totally I had all of them I was super into it um but I did only see the first two movies I didn't get and I keep every time they're on TV or like on Showtime or whatever I always am like I should just sit down and watch but it's been I'm so it's been such a long time I almost feel like I want to reread the books Anyway, I digress. So we have Caitlin and um, Matt, and they are in bed, and then they go for a walk down by this lake, and they're chatting, and he goes and picks this yellow flower, and he proposes to Caitlin, Mm -hmm. which I find fascinating. So he talked about how when they were talking on the phone while he was in prison, he would say, let's just get married. Let's just get married now over the phone or like whatever. Let's just get married now. And then they get out of prison and he's like, okay, let's get married. And Caitlin is much more practical. You know, she's like, he needs to get a job. We need to find a place to live. And he's just like, let's just get married. Which is so he odd. He can't see further than a foot in front of his face. So he's like, oh, it's I have so this woman. True. What is there to do with her? But have sex and get married. And that's what people do. I mean, he's just. It's you know. very true. And I feel like it's almost a reversal in some ways. Because a lot of times you see like the Jonas who are like, let's get married. And right. the guys and thought are like about it a lot more. pulling back. And it, here, Caitlin's kind of like yeah sure of course I want to marry you but like we have to be like real about this like you need to get a job and I think it just shows that he has no idea what he's talking about 
when he says let's get married he might as well be saying let's go see a movie let's go watch twilight like he, right. he just it doesn't mean anything to him no it's true it's, it's... all words it's just all t- everything's talk with him yeah and it's so, not for her so now we go back to michael and sarah and megan and Sarah is talking about him getting released, and she talks about their how they got married. So they got married in 2017. Um, so they've been married for a while while he's been engaged to Megan, which is just right. Right. I don't know, this guy. I don't know. So he finally comes out, and Sarah's like bawling, and she's like so excited to see him, and they run to each other, and he's already got his king shirt on. So yeah, I think this is one of those where she could give clothes exactly and and so he's and he was allowed to change and then walk out yeah so he's got his king shirt on she's got a queen shirt on i mean he's very loving to her and very um sweet i think he's aloof i think he's aloof though yeah but like he is like he's hugging her and like i love you forever he knows what to say it's just like yeah so he works her he knows how to work her creepy it's so awful he's like really broken these women because they can Mm -hmm. never be with anybody else and have like real trust I don't know if that's true. Because you're always going to, I mean, he, I don't know. It's just weird. I mean, I dated a complete dirtbag in college and, you know, just realized, oh, he's a dirtbag and dumped him and moved on. And he was, he was not in prison, but I mean, he was just as bad as Michael as far as just being like an operator. And, you know, he just realized that he deserved better, I guess. That that's, that's the problem. It's that he's feeding right into these women's lack of self-esteem. I don't yeah I guess so I don't want to give him that much credit you know that he's gonna have any long-term effect like they need to just get their shit together yeah I had different type of relationships and I had a different type of lack of self-esteem when I dated like my it was my college boyfriend was amazing he's wonderful and he's still wonderful I think he's still a good person um and I'm glad he's he's been in this really long-term relationship with this woman who's really sweet I think they're great um, my second really long-term relationship was in law school and he was not so great. He was not so great, but he never purported to be, you know, he was, we dated for four and a half years and he was never like, I love you so much. Like he never wow. dropped the love word ever. Are you kidding me? You were with a man for almost five years and he never told you he loved you. No, it was because it was a very, what were you doing? What was the point? It was a very immature relationship because we were in. Oh, so it just wasn't that deep. We were in law school. So he, and he did, he did not do very well in law school. So he studied every day during the week at the library to like 1130 at night. And oh, wow. I never did that. Like I was going out on Thursday nights because there's beer on the beach. And uh, as you know, with Hastings, there's beer on the beach. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we would go out and, um, have a good time and you know do our thing and we um he would get mad at me because I was younger than he was and I didn't study as hard but I did better in law school and he made this rule that we could not see each other during the week and we never hung out during the week. I mean, we'd see each other like in class and stuff, but we never hung out during the week. We only hung out on weekends and his weekends were very like, he'd been single for a really long time. So he had all these, you know, things that he would do and we'd have like a date night. So it was a very different type of relationship. I mean, my college boyfriend and I lived together. Like that was just not the kind of relationship that 
we had. And then after I graduated, we were together for, I think, another year, maybe. Uh, And it was really a struggle to be with him because he was trying to get a job after we graduated and I already had a job. And then I finally was like, what? Like, I started to put together all these little things. It was so stupid. Like, he would be like, I remember, like, just he didn't want to hang out on New Year's Eve because he made plans with his friends. And I was like, uh, like just little things started to really piss me off. And then the thing, like the straw that broke the camel's back was we came back from a weekend in San Santa Cruz with his brother and friends. And when I dropped him off at home, cause he didn't have a car, he said, I said, Hey, do you want to make dinner later or get together later? And he was like, we just spent all weekend together. And it just totally hurt my feelings So I went home and then I just called him and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I think I just finally like saw the light and I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I don't need to be treated like this anymore. Like I need to be your priority or at least some priority. And you're clearly, I'm not. So it wasn't that he ever led me on because he didn't, he was, you know, he never led me on. He never led me to believe that it was more than it was, but I think I still had the expectation that it would be more. So, hello, hello, hello. Culty, not that you're not used to that with us by now. Um. So, what happened? Where did it cut off? I have. I mean, it 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 was just a, like a minute or like a, a couple seconds. So, I think oh, okay. All right. Sorry, guys. We so, we're we're bad at this. It's all right. I was in the middle of my like boring story about my ex boyfriend who was. No, crazy. no, we got it. We got that. <laughs> so anyway, we broke up. But I think it it wasn't that he led me on. And I feel like with these people, my God, they just these guys. I just feel like if a guy, if if this particular boyfriend of mine in law school had told me that he loved me and was like let's move in together and I love you and we're going to get married and all this stuff. I would have eaten that up. Mm-hmm. He would have told me exactly what I wanted to hear, even though we were not well-matched. We were not a good match. <laughs> we should not have been together. Um, I still would have eaten it up, you know, because he would have said what I wanted to hear. And that is exactly what these guys do. They say what you want to hear. I agree. And that's what Michael's doing. Oh yeah. With Megan, it's just, and he's doing it successfully, sad. which is, yeah, it is really sad, especially because there's a kid involved. So she picks him up and then they, I mean, am I right? I mean, my recollection of the segment is that they just like immediately go to a hotel room. Um, Yeah, they're still hugging it, I think. Yeah, they're still hugging and then we switch over to Megan. Oh, my bad. And she's in Texas and she's ignoring michael and upset because he hasn't called her yet because he's banging his wife exactly um and she's just like i'm pissed yeah no you just make it uh sarah and michael are just in the car they're like heading out and that's where that's where it ends um so then yeah so next time we get to see him with his family and sarah and the whole dramatic continuation of these guys yep um, and I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's what I, and that's why I was confused about whether we saw the hotel room. Cause I just couldn't remember if it was the end of this episode or the beginning of the next episode. No, that's the beginning of the next, I think that's the next episode. So we'll be back. 
um, next Wednesday for two more episodes of Love After Lockup season two. And um, and maybe let's talk. We'll talk offline about when we want to start. When if we want to start seeking sister wife. Yeah, please feel free to comment on that, guys, because your opinion, of course, matters. Yes. And uh, we'll see you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Legal disclaimer. This is a personal podcast just for fun, solely meant for entertainment purposes. We are lawyers, but we're not giving any legal advice on the podcast. We're not creating any kind of attorney-client relationship in the podcast. And also keep in mind that anything we say, anything at all, it's just our personal opinions. We have no intention of maligning any individual, group, company, religious or ethnic group, nationality, or anything or anyone else. Lisa and Katie have no affiliation with TLC. These are not the opinions of TLC. And finally, anything that we say is not meant to represent anyone other than Lisa Freitas and Katie Saad individually. Finally, please give a, leave us a comment on our Facebook page and give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast service you're using to help us continue to record. Thank you.